0: This is Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky.
1: So, Jean, let's bring in John McCafferty. Uh, John, welcome back. Nice to see you. Jean, just a moment ago, was giving uh, the inflation numbers for uh, July, and as she mentioned, um, you know, markets are clawing their way back, something you had said back in June, you thought uh, that was going to happen. What's especially interesting, I think, is that it's actually not really driven by some big you know, piece of financial news.
0: That's right. And thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to see you both. As we make our way through the economic cycle, um, you know there are periods where the markets are higher, there's lower, and this is why we talk to people about maintaining a long-term perspective so that you don't miss out on these recoveries. And you're right. I mean, it might have been the, the recent clawback is possibly more of an emotional reaction rather than a data-based reaction.
1: But here, here's my question. I, I get that there's core inflation and then there's inflation, but why do they tease them out? Like, why would you measure something and not include food and not include energy.
0: Those two components tend to be a lot more volatile than the rest of the goods and services in the basket. Generally, policymakers, economists, they might opt to use headline inflation, which includes energy and food, for maybe long-term comparisons of, say, wages, wealth, rates of return, Social Security payments, whereas core inflation is a much better use for a, a short-term assessment of what's going on. It's less volatile because it doesn't include food or energy.
2: You know, Soledad, how we often talk about how we like to control the things that we can control both food and energy, they're historically more sensitive to geopolitical events and swings in supply and demand. And if you look at what's going on right now, we've got war, right? We've got extreme weather. We've got natural disasters. We've got still the effects of the global pandemic on the supply chain. All of these events have had a dramatic impact on food prices and energy prices. So by factoring them out, Washington and, and other governments, I guess, get a get a better sense of what's really going on.
1: All that long list though is also known as life. And it seems crazy to me. I, I get that you're saying it's it's volatile. But at the same time, there seems to be something, I don't have a better word than a little bit crazy of removing things that people very much feel are indicators of inflation, right? If you're going to take food and you're going to take energy out.
0: That's a great point. And I think people struggle with that. That tends to be what we consume the most of is food and energy. It's like, well, wait a second, why wouldn't you include that number? It can seem disingenuous when that's what we spend a lot of our money on. And yet you have a policymaker saying, no, 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 we're not going to use that number. And you might be thinking, well, of course, you're going to use the lower number. It makes you look better. The operative word here is volatility. And we're seeing it now where maybe three or four months ago, energy was surging and it's still higher. Uh, but you know, right now, the average price of a gallon of gas is down about 17% from the prior month. So things are coming down. And when you're trying to make a decision based upon something that, that is incredibly volatile, it increases errors. An example I'll give you is with our portfolios here at Edelman Financial Engines. If we rebalanced your portfolio every time the market went up or down 1%, we'd be trading nonstop. And what that leads to, at least if you go on historical data is inferior outcomes. And I believe the same mindset applies to why policymakers, why economists, prefer to use core inflation rather than headline. It's because they can't be reactive to something that tends to be wildly volatile. And the same mindset applies to the advice we offer our clients when we talk about staying in the market.
3: Is your retirement withdrawal strategy built for a looming recession? Do you know which accounts you should draw from first? What are common pitfalls? How can you minimize your tax bite? I'm Isabel Barrow, Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner and co-host here on Everyday Wealth. I invite you, our listeners, to join Edelman Financial Engines on Tuesday, August 16th at 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern for our timely virtual event, Recession and Your Retirement Withdrawal Strategy. You can register for free at planEFE.com. We'll look at financial pitfalls to avoid and how to help make sure your financial plan is built to last. Whether it's sequence of withdrawals, when to start taking Social Security, or staying diversified, we'll help you understand the steps you can take to make sure your financial plan can work for you. Don't miss this important virtual event. Join us for Recession and Your Retirement Withdrawal Strategy on Tuesday, August 16th at 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern. There's no cost to attend and no obligation. Register now at Planefe.com. That's Planefe.com.